The Old Testament reading is taken from Exodus chapter 32, beginning to read at verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and they have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a golden calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it, and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 to 14, the parable of the wedding banquet. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, 
but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those that I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you from Matthew 22 and verse 14. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for your words that you give us in the scriptures, and we pray now for your Holy Spirit to come and breathe into these words and bring them to life for us, so that we might live for you. Amen. When I was a, a child, I used to have a bedtime book that was read to me uh, called Shock-Headed Peter. I don't know if you've come across that book, Shock-Headed Peter. I've still got a copy of it here. Uh, it consists of a whole load of um, rather graphically illustrated um, morality stories, really, Victorian morality stories, and that's uh, one there, shock-headed Peter with his long hair and his unkempt nails and who let himself go somewhat. And uh, this story, uh, this, uh, this book actually, is filled with rather gruesome stories about what happens to children when they are naughty. So as well as uh, shock-headed Peter, who um, he never brushed his hair or cut his nails or anything else like that, there's also the story of little sucker thumb. Little sucker thumb who used to suck their thumbs and there was the long-legged scissor man who used to come and cut off the thumbs of the children with his scissors. There's the story of Harriet, who used to play with matches and one day burnt to death and all that was left of her was a little pile of ashes. It's in here. It's just... <laughs> it's probably a book that, uh, children, that parents would uh, certainly not want to show their children today for fear of the psychological damage it might inflict upon them. 
It probably explains why I, I am... <laughs> I still bear the scars of those stories. Well, there is one particular less gruesome story. There's plenty of them. You can have a look through it afterwards if you'd like to see them, if you're not. Um, but uh, there's one less gruesome story uh, in the book of Johnny Head in the Air. And Johnny Head in the Air was a boy who spent most of his day dreaming, well, all of his day dreaming, really, and uh, he had his head in the air, and uh, he used to ponder on the birds and the clouds and the sky and everything else, only he couldn't see what was immediately in front of him, so he kept falling over. And one day, he fell into a canal, nearly drowned. I mean, it's, could easily have drowned, but he nearly drowned, and... and but he didn't, he was rescued. Now, strange to you it may seem, but when I read this story um, from the gospel, this gospel story today, uh, one of the stories that immediately came to my mind was Johnny Head in the air. In this familiar story, this familiar parable, that uh, Jesus tells us about. It's the familiar to us about the king who holds a wedding banquet. And he asks other people to come to join him, to celebrate together. Now, it's probably true that we are probably more familiar with Luke's account, Luke's telling of this uh, parable, really. And in Luke's version of this parable, Luke 14 each of the guests are invited and, and they respond to the invitation. And uh, if you read that parable, they are very, uh, they come back with all kinds of excuses, rather weak excuses. Um, I've just bought a field, I've just bought some oxen, um, I've just got married, although that last one might have a little bit more validity than some of the others. But anyway, uh, some pretty weak excuses why they can't come. But in Luke's gospel, in the parable there, they're very polite, actually, in their responses. All of them reply, and uh, all of them are, are very polite. They say, please, may I be excused from coming? So, as we know the story, the king changes the invitations, and he sends out his messengers to invite those who weren't originally invited to the banquet, the poor, the blind, and the lame, and, and everybody else. Now, in contrast, Matthew's, which is the version that we're dealing with today, that we have before us today, Matthew's treatment of this particular parable is very different. The guests, for example, are much ruder in their refusal, Matthew tells us that they don't even bother to reply, many of them. And uh, even uh, when they, uh, they go off and do their own thing, some of them, but even when he sends messengers to them, some of them, his messengers, are even killed. Badly treated and killed. Now, of course, the reason for this variation is that it reflects the readership of Matthew, that Matthew was principally writing to a Jewish readership, and Matthew wanted to spell out to them who exactly those ungrateful guests were. It was them, the Jews. 
Jews who considered themselves to be the chosen people of God, the invited guests at God's banquet, yet who refused to join God in his banquet, in his purpose, in his plan, who ignore the call of the prophets and indeed who even kill some of them. And there is also a kind of foreshadowing of the treatment Jesus would also receive at their hands. For their refusal, they are no longer, the message is to them, they are no longer to be considered God's solely chosen people and therefore God now invites everybody to come to share his banquet instead. And while it's a little uncomfortable for us here, sitting here today, maybe to consider that we are included with the blind and the lame and the poor and everybody else, that we are kind of a second thought. We are grateful, actually, that he did that, that God did that, that he extended the invitation because we wouldn't be here today if he hadn't done that. We wouldn't know Jesus as our saviour if he hadn't done that, invited everyone to come in, even us. Yet, like Johnny Head in the Air, I blissfully wander through this parable. And I contemplate with my head in the air how blessed I am to be invited as part of God's banquet. How blessed I am. And I contemplate with my head in the air the joys of heaven that await me. But Matthew has put a banana skin on my path while I'm walking along with my head in the air and it's waiting to trip me up Unlike Luke, which finishes with the poor and the lame and everybody else being invited, and I'm happy with that, that's okay, that's fine. Matthew goes on, and I kind of wish he hadn't, but he does. And he goes on to describe the king coming to the banquet and seeing uh, a a man at the banquet who had obviously invited He'd been invited, he'd answered the invitation, he'd come to the banquet, but he isn't dressed in wedding clothes. So the king has him tied up and thrown out. Now, I hadn't seen that coming. I hadn't seen that coming because that doesn't really kind of fit with my understanding of a loving, kind, accepting God. What does that say? If, as I had thought, the king was now inviting everyone to come to the banquet, including me, then what is it saying if someone who is at the banquet isn't dressed in the right, right clothes, isn't dressed in the, in the right wedding clothes, is then tied up and thrown out? What are the implications for me, for you? And to make matters worse, 
Then Matthew then quotes Jesus as saying, for many are invited, but few are chosen. And my Methodist Wesleyan Armenian theology rejects absolutely the idea that somehow only a few are chosen. A few chosen for salvation. Now that may be good enough for Calvinists, and it may be good enough for Baptists, but it's not good enough for me. I've been brought up with the fundamental understanding, the fundamental Methodist principle, that all can be saved. All. No matter who they are. Not a few are chosen. And if that were not enough to, for me to deal with, for me to grapple with, then we have this Old Testament lesson to contend with too. That with the making of the golden calf and they make this golden calf while Moses is up the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. And again, I'm happy with that story in many ways. I can easily see the parallels with modern society and today and the variety of golden calves that people will make of themselves today and worship those false idols today. I can live with that. I'm happy with that particular interpretation. I can even bring myself to, be un to understand God's disappointment and even anger at their behaviour. But then when God expresses his anger and threatens to destroy uh, all the people, Moses then pleads for them before God and seemingly changes God's mind. And God decides not to destroy them after all. Now what does that say about God? Does that say that me Moses, merely a man, can change the mind of God. What kind of God is that? And as I ponder these questions, then the beginning of the answer, the glimmer of the answer, becomes apparent. Because the thread that links all of these things together, the king changing the invitations, the guests, the guests not changing his clothes, Moses seemingly changing God's mind, is precisely that. It's all about change. It's all about changing. A few years ago, when our children were small, uh, we used to, we didn't, I didn't read those of the book to them. Uh, hopefully they've grown up a little bit different to me. But anyway, when our church was, we used to go on camping holidays. Um, but packing the car was always a challenge for us because uh, we had to include the three children and uh, the tent and everything else and the dog and my wife and everything else. So it took a good deal of strategy, actually, packing the car up. And uh, there wasn't an inch to spare uh, once we had finished. And um, 
that's how we used to travel. Sort of kind of sort of like this. One year we were driving down to Cornwall and the car was so tightly packed as usual, but then I began to feel that there was something wrong with the car. It wasn't, wasn't behaving, wasn't driving as it should do. I pulled over and discovered that we had a flat tire. But the, the spare tire was right at the bottom of the boot. So I had to take everything, everything out in order to get to the spare tire, the spare wheel, in order for us to change the wheel. We had to empty everything out. It must have been quite a sight for anyone who was driving along by the side of the road. There was these poor people that had all their worldly goods that were spread out along the side of the road and the dog and the three children and everyone else. But we had to do that in order for us to move on. Sometimes the same is true for us on our Christian journey. We're a bit like Johnny Head in the Air. We have our kind of our own tightly packed beliefs and understandings. But unless we are prepared to unpack them, unless we are prepared to take them out and put them on the side of the road, we will never get to the part, the spare wheel, in order for us to move on with God. And sometimes we need to do that. Actually stand back and say, what is it actually I really believe about God? And be prepared to change. Change. Change our ways. Change even our beliefs. Our tightly held beliefs. It's all too easy, I think, for us to be like Johnny Head in the air, grateful that God has given us his love, thankful for his forgiveness and his mercy, yet somehow going along like that and not being prepared to change. But the thing about it is that, that we won't move on in our journey with God, our progress with God, unless at times we are prepared to do exactly that. We're prepared to change. That's the thing about the man at the banquet. Yes, he had answered the invitation and come, but he hadn't changed. And that change, as well as being a passive thing that we kind of hope that God might do in us when we come to him, we put our faith in him, that we kind of hope that God might change us. Actually, it's not only that. But we have also to be prepared to change ourselves. To do something about it. That it's not passive, it is also active. Change has to be intentional. It is something that we have to be prepared to do. So, for example, when we read in the New Testament, we read a number of texts about change. Galatians 3.27, clothe yourself with Christ. Colossians 3, therefore as God's holy and chosen people, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness. And, and we go on and on and on with that. The operative kind of phrase in all of that is clothe yourself. Do this yourself. Don't only expect God to change you, but be prepared to do it yourself. 
as an act of your will. It's not enough simply for us to come and to sing our hymns and to say our prayers and to say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me upon the cross. I'm so grateful that you did that for me. Thank you, Jesus, that I am invited now to your banqueting table and not be prepared to change. That's the real point of this story. It's not so much about the people that said, I cannot come, but they said, I will not change. I will not change my diary. I will not change my plans. I will not change my life. That's the thing. The story of Moses changing God's mind isn't really that anyway. God wanted his mind to be changed. Because as well as being a God of justice, he is also a God of love. As well as being a God of judgment, he is also a God of mercy. And God holds those things in tension all of the time. And it's for us never to underestimate either of those things, his judgment and his mercy. God solves the dilemma in Jesus. That old image that you will know so well of the, of the judge passing judgment and then coming down from the judgment seat and coming down and then paying the, the, the sentence himself. It's an old image that we have. But having paid the price, the judge surely then does not expect the person he's just pardoned or just paid the price for then to go back to their old ways. He expects that person to change in some way, not just to carry on as before. The message in all this is God reaches out to us in love, but as he does so, he also expects us to be prepared to change intentionally and to clothe ourselves with clothing that reflects who we are. To clothe ourselves with clothing that reflects that we are the invited guests of the king at his banquet. Thanks be to God. Amen.